Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Oh boy, we got a good one today. It's not going to be the two-hour podcast I've been putting out. It's just going to be right around an hour. The first part of this podcast is going to be with Rob Doster. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the early entrants who are testing the waters in the NBA draft. Also a bit of uh, Philip Petrashev's decision to leave Gonzaga and go overseas to play for Mega. Uh, the second part of this episode is a really great interview with Cassius Winston that I've already recorded. Uh, he was fantastic, as anyone who's ever heard Cassius speak would certainly be unsurprised about. But before we get to Cassius, let's go to Rob Doster. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. You know, I'm still trying to survive the whole uh, whole parenting from home thing with two kids under five. So it's every single day is the same thing over and over again, and every single day is entirely too stressful. But you know what? It is uh, – I'm off the clock. I don't have to be watching the kids anymore, and I'm able to kick back, relax, and, and talk to you, Sam. So my day just brightened up quite a bit. Yeah, I would imagine having multiple kids in the middle of a pandemic where no one can leave the house is – probably suboptimal yeah it's 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 rough man it's rough i i've i'm running out of ideas for ways to invent stuff for my son to find entertaining because uh, i i pretty much exhausted it by month three which tell you about how far we are into this pandemic so um (laughs) if anybody out there has any ideas please feel free to tweet me the first thing that i just want to note is that basketball's back which is great uh for people that have league pass they were able to watch these uh scrimmage games with nba teams i watched denver washington because i'm a glutton for punishment and watched uh troy brown play really well and then watched bull bull uh play basketball for the first time what i would guess since november of 2018 Something like that. It's probably been. He's played some G League games. I've watched a little bit of those, but this was the first time we've seen him at the highest level he was eligible to play uh, since, I think, November 2018. It's actually on NBA TV right now. So I'm sitting here and I'm watching it. I'm looking, very much looking forward to uh, If I happen to start laughing randomly in the middle of this podcast, just understand it's because Bobo did something. He did, a, he did a lot in that game. I will give him that. He had 16 points, 10 rebounds six blocks. He also scored those 16 points on 16 shooting possessions and had five turnovers and looked just totally terrible defensively. Then again, they were playing him at the three. So like I would expect he'd look bad defensively, even though they played a lot of zone. Uh, It was, there's a lot of flashy stuff, I guess. And people like flashy stuff, but the whole idea of who bowl is, uh, has always been this where the flashes look super cool, but then you actually sit down and watch what happened. Uh, it, it wasn't particularly good, I didn't think. It's it's the small things that he always struggled with, right? And, and it was the idea that, yes, he can block a shot, and yes, he can make a three, but what happens on everything else in between those possessions? And the, for me, it's always been, you are the position that you can guard, right? And it terrifies me thinking about him guarding fives in the post or guarding fives on the perimeter. It also terrifies me thinking about him playing the four and having to guard uh, some like of the best big uh, big wings in the NBA because that's kind of where he would have to um, defend at that level. So it's just I, I I get the I get what's enticing about him offensively and that makes complete sense to me. But it's everything else that comes with having ball ball on the floor. It's just I don't I don't get it. And and it also the other part of it is. How much does he actually love basketball? Like I, that was always the question mark that that 
people had um, with him was he was he going to put in the work to develop his body and develop his game and develop all of the little things that, that could take him from being uh, a guy that can flash a little bit in uh, you know what amounts to kind of like an exhibition game or uh, from from being that guy to someone that can actually really impact winning at the highest level in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how this goes. I am. Uh, I had bull outside of the first round last year on my big board. Uh, I understand that people like the flashy stuff, but it's the possession by possession stuff that uh, I will be intrigued to see if he can ever bring to the table. Um, I was talking to our good friend John Hollinger offline, and uh, Hollinger noted, "Well, at least he looks better than Admiral Schofield." And he's right about that. Uh, in that case, he looked much better than Admiral Schofield did in this game. And uh, maybe he at least should have been taken over Schofield. But I'm uh, not sure either of those guys yet are NBA players. We shall see. Let's, uh, let's talk about the early entrants who are testing the waters in the NBA draft here. Because this is just such a weird situation that I think a lot of people aren't fully grasping in terms of how awkward of a position all of these kids are in. You have been outspoken basically since the start that you don't think the season is going to be a full season. You think you thought early on the NCAA tournament in 2020 was going to be canceled. You've kind of been at the forefront of thinking about all of these things in a very uh, conservative way. And I think that you've been born out to be correct on a lot of those things. So I'm trying to figure out how differently should prospects approach the 2020 pre-draft process in regard to even the possibility that there is not a season in college basketball versus what they traditionally approach it as. I think you have to feel very confident in, in, in whether or not you're going to end up getting a guaranteed contract, right? Because you don't want to have to be in the position where you are trying to find your job because you were a late second round pick and you didn't make the team kind of right. deal, right? That could put you into a really bad situation. Uh, but at the same time, if you are in a position where you decide to come back to school instead of being like the something like a the 55th pick or going undrafted and try, trying to find a job um, in one of the, the bigger leagues in Europe, uh, you're also looking at a situation where like there's a very real chance we don't have a college basketball season. And, and just to to touch on what you mentioned for people that, that uh, I'm assuming this is more of like a, an NBA listenership. Um, I don't see any way that you can have non-conference play in college basketball this year for a couple of reasons. One, the economics of buy games just don't make sense if there aren't going to be fans in the stands. So the, I don't think that's going to happen. And the other part of it is that I don't see how power conference schools can feel comfortable having schools from smaller leagues that don't have the same budget and have the same kind of uh, athletic department resources to provide the amount of testing that you need to be able to be sure that you don't have anybody on these rosters that is uh, COVID positive. And um, the biggest thing, the biggest problem that, that these kids are going to have is not like the basketball part of it, right? Like we're seeing with the NBA, with the MLS, with the Premier League in Europe, that you can you can have sports um, and, and be able to keep these guys on the floor and, and from uh, interacting with the public and keep them basically free of coronavirus. Uh, it's very easy to do when you build bubbles. Uh, you can't do that with kids that are on a college campus. That's where, like, all of the spread is going to be. You know, think about what 18- to 20-year-olds 
do. Think about what you would have done if you were 18 to 22 years old in the middle of a pandemic on a college campus. Probably live life normally. A lot of kids probably will. So uh, the big danger for the college athletes is just being like a student as opposed to being the athlete. So I don't see any way that you have non-conference play. When you do it in conference, you can kind of have standardized testing protocols because – uh, you know, Ohio State and Wisconsin and all of these Big Ten teams basically have the same budget and they'll be able to afford what they need to spend um, on testing to make sure that everybody is COVID-free during games. So I don't think there's going to be any non-conference play. I also I'm, – I'm, I'm not all that confident in there being a season. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of like at 50-50 that there actually is college basketball. So if you're one of these prospects that is like your decision is, am I going to have to go out and try to find a job somewhere or – uh, roll the dice on the possibility that I may not be playing college basketball. It's it's just tough. Um, and a lot depends on, and maybe you can answer this a little bit better than, than me, Sam. It depends on whether or not there's going to be a G League season. And if you can find a way to like latch on with the G League for a year instead of having to roll the dice on whether or not there is a college basketball season, I think that that might be a pretty good idea in this specific season. Yeah, so... The G League, I think, is still a very open question. Uh, I, frankly, have not talked to anyone on the NBA side who has any real confidence on what that is going to look like in the 2020-2021 season. Uh, Frankly, just no one knows. Uh, It's possible that it exists. It's possible it doesn't. Personally, uh, if we're getting into, like, my views on it as opposed to what I'm reporting, I find it somewhat hard to believe that there will be a G League season that is more than, you know, 25 games or something like that. But we'll see. I mean, just kind of thinking about this logically, it seems like a pretty big extravagance to hold developmental games. We've seen uh, Major League Baseball cancel their minor league season because it's just not something worth paying for in regard to testing. I mean, these guys don't make a ton of money, but it's still enough money to where you're essentially throwing multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars down the drain. And that's before you get to, you know, game operations and putting these games on. Like, it'd be a multi-million dollar loss for every team. And I'd be pretty stunned if there was a G League season, but I've yet to talk to anyone who is willing to speak with any sort of confidence uh, on that. I'm just kind of speaking logically when I say that. Um, Given that, I think that you nailed it within the first sentence that you said. If you're going to enter the 2020 NBA draft, you either need to be very willing to go over to Europe, and by that I mean you need to be entering and signing a contract by like the end of August. within Europe because the European season uh, isn't really stopping. Like they're signing players right now. The way that the European marketplace works is they typically sign guys uh, throughout the course of June, July, August Uh, because European countries have had much more success containing the coronavirus pandemic than America has, which (laughs) good good joke having any confidence that we're going to continue to do that over the course of the next couple months uh, and, and really change our trajectory on this. I think that it's not the worst option for a lot of these kids who are really on the borderline to consider going over to Europe and making a little bit of money this year and getting some development. Like if you're, um, if you're Luca Garza, 
for instance. Like Luca is probably the best example of this because he also has the Bosnian citizenship. Before it was probably Philip Petrushev, and maybe this is the best way to move into the Petrushev discussion. You know, Petrushev is from Serbia, has the Serbian passport, doesn't count against roster limits over there. They can really pay him uh, pretty extensively to go overseas. I don't know what the exact number is that Petrushev got. It, there's no way it's um, not in the hundreds, plural, of thousands of dollars, in my opinion, just knowing the way that that marketplace works. Uh, he is a young player that Mega has potential to keep for multiple years who – uh, while he does want to stay in the draft, ultimately is not an elite-level draft prospect. He's kind of the perfect guy for Europe. Uh, not everyone has that kind of uh, that kind of security in, in regard to having options available. If you're someone like Jalen Crutcher, though, at Dayton, that kid's probably going to have some pretty real European offers for. $60,000 a year, and if he doesn't feel confident that Dayton is going to play more than 18 games against A-10 competition, well, I don't I don't think that it's like the worst option for him to consider starting his career in Europe and then uh, hopefully hoping that there's a vaccine by the time March rolls around next year and he can play Summer League in 2021. Yeah, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head with Philip Petrashev and comparing him with Luca Garza, because those are two guys that didn't really have much more room to kind of prove themselves, right? They kind of are what they are as players. Like, it's not like right. there's all that much more that Philip Petrushev can add to his game. He can say that he's going to try to extend the range on his jumper, and he can say he's going to try to develop his ability to be a rim protector or defensively. But when you're a slow-footed big man that isn't all that uh, explosive and can't really jump all that high, you kind of are what you are. And I think cutting and running and, and taking the money uh, when he could get it is probably the best option for him. And if I was advising him, you know, I, I don't I don't like to get into the heads of players. Uh, you know, as long as you go out and, and you research your options and you're well-informed and you make an educated decision, like I'm never going to second-guess anything that somebody does as long as they know the decision that they're making and they're fine with it. Right. So if he, uh, but if I was advising him, I probably would have said that that was the best thing that he could have done. And you're, you're, you're more or less guaranteed to go and get playing time. Um, you're going to be making some money out of it and you're not going to have to deal with what is probably, if there is a college basketball season, it's I'm, I'm almost certain it's going to be kind of start and stop, right. especially with the people that are showing up and testing positive and, and, uh, whether or not teams are going to have to go into quarantine and how that works. Like, I don't think anybody really knows how it's going to work. So if you can go out and you can get paid and you have the chance to do it at a high level, like, I think I would recommend players do that. And, and you know, I, I think it, it – I don't – from the college perspective, like, I don't think it hurts Gonzaga all that much because I love Drew Timmy and maybe I'm just a little bit too bullish on Drew Timmy and Umar Ballo. But I don't think it hurts him all that much, and I think it's the, the best op- option for Philip Petrushev. So – you know, more power to him. And, and I would – I know that, uh, that there are differing opinions on what Luca Garza is as a pro. Well, maybe there aren't differing opinions. There's kind of one opinion on, on what he can be as an NBA player, and it's maybe not all that good. But I would love to see him come back to college basketball. But if I was in his ear advising him and he had, like, an offer for what, – what do you think? Like maybe a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars $150,000, something like oh, that? Oh, if, if you told me – I mean, uh, the, the report on Moretti was that he got, like, two hundred. 200 from Moretti. For an, he was an Italian going home to Italy, which means he doesn't count against roster limits. So, like, oh, wow. You know, like, yeah. that stuff is real, right? 
um, that it, it really does help you build out your roster and you can theoretically sell more jerseys with an Italian going home, right? Um, like Amadeo Della Valle, do you remember that kid for Ohio State? Yeah. He makes like an insane amount of money in Europe or, or in Italy right now. Like you'd be pretty stunned. Uh, it, it's It's like... I don't want to throw an exact number on it because I don't know the exact number, but it's much more than you would think for someone like him. Um, even based off of what his play is, like he's pretty good in Europe, but he's not like incredible or anything. Um, in the case of Garza, I think you're talking multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. Would yeah, be my so bet. he's going to have a very, very real decision to make because uh, on the one hand, like the the idea for him of coming back, and I, I think he said this on the record, is that the idea for him coming back and being a preseason national player of the year and having a chance to win a national title with guys that he really, really gets along well with at the University of Iowa and a place that he's been uh, for three and potentially four years. And you know, the chance to do all of those things that have never been done at Iowa before is something that is very appealing to him. And I understand that because uh, the money is always going to end up being there, right? But if you don't have the certainty that you're going to be able to experience that, if you don't know if you're going to, uh, if there's going to be an NCAA tournament, you know, you could start the season and, and we just see too much spread of the virus throughout college basketball teams and they have to cancel the tournament. Maybe we don't get it under control in the country, whatever. There's so much uncertainty there. If you can go overseas and go play and get paid like that, like that's, that's, that's a very real decision. It's not like he's having to decide between college and making 50 grand in the G League, right? It's, right. it's very different for him, and, and I would uh, I would find it very hard to sit here and tell him with a straight face that I think that it, the, the right decision for him um, is to come back to college with all of those questions. Now, that said, like I mentioned before, like I, as long as he understands both sides of it and makes whatever the decision that makes him happiest, like I, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell him it's the wrong thing to do, but he has a very real decision to make. Yeah, I agree. I mean, here's what I wrote probably three weeks ago now on Philip Petrushev. Um, from an individual perspective, it's going to be hard for Petrushev to match his 2019-20 performance. Typically that means he should leave, but because his game doesn't fit in the NBA, he's also not quite a good enough prospect to feel confident that he's going to be playing at the highest level next season. Maybe a team would trust the production, but I think it's far from a certainty. It's also worth mentioning that Petrushev, by virtue of being born in Serbia, would have a robust professional European marketplace for his services. However, that marketplace is also in flux right now due to the pandemic. He'd certainly get six figures to play overseas. Davide Moretti reportedly got something in the ballpark of $200,000 to leave Texas Tech due to the leverage he had as an Italian player negotiating with the Italian club. But that option is always going to be there for Petrushev. I feel very similarly about Luca Garza, and I will be very intrigued to see what he does because I can't imagine that he doesn't have people in his ear. He doesn't, he's not you know, hearing from agencies, hey, I can go out and get this offer for you in Europe right now. Um, that, I think that that's going to be a, a complicated factor, and I, I don't think that he is a bad. I mean, he doesn't have a bad choice necessarily. It's just that there are choices that he's going to have to make. Um, yes, whatever, whatever makes him happiest is, is going to be what he does. And, and I, I just want to tell a quick story about Luca Garza because I saw him randomly uh, when he was a freshman at Murray in D.C. I had a buddy that was a, a coach at a Division One program who was going to recruit somebody that was a senior on his team. And I saw him play as a freshman. And, and let me tell you, to, to, to see what he is now as a guy that's averaging like 23 and 10 or whatever it was in the Big Ten this year, from what he was as a freshman, like have you ever seen 
a kid that puts on like his parents' shoes and walks around, and when he's taking the steps, it's like the the feet are flapping. Right. And every time they take a step, you just want to be right there and be ready to kind of like catch them because you're just expecting those kids to fall. Right. That's what Luca Garza was like running up and down the floor. He was already six foot nine, but his feet. Like, they were enormous, and you could hear his feet slapping the floor every time he ran up and down the floor. And I'm sitting there watching him, and the guy that I'm with was like, yeah, that, that kid's got a chance to be a high major player. And I'm just like, what, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing with this, like, goofball that can barely run, that looks like he's going to fall over his own feet? And uh, lo and behold, this kid turns around, and, you know, he's a first-team All-American as a junior, averaging 23-12 and 12 or whatever it was. Uh, in the Big Ten will will be the preseason national player of the year if he decides to come back to school. It's just it's amazing the amount of work that he's put in. He also went from as a sophomore, kind of like a fat kid, to as a junior, like he's he's like well he's ripped wrestler. now. He's yeah, ridiculous. He's, like I made jokes about how fat he was before. Like it's it, I can't do that anymore. Like he looks like a wrestler. He's just thick, man. I, and and I love I he probably doesn't have a long career in the NBA in front of him, but he's one of those guys that just makes you love the sport of college basketball because you watch him develop over the years, you see him become a star, you see him succeed, and now all of a sudden, uh, you know, we're we're not we're not going to be able to get that. No, I'm Maybe. here for I'm here for Luca Garza's uh yeah. renaissance and his uh, development into a very real, exceptional college basketball player. Uh, I'm not a fan of his NBA potential, but that's fine. It doesn't take away from all the work he's done. And I think that he's, uh, by all accounts, just an incredible kid that would be good to have around. So, And I'll tell you what, man, even if he doesn't make the NBA, to go ahead and go make, like uh, like you said, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars playing basketball in beautiful European cities, there are worse lives than that. Oh, no, he's going to make so much money playing basketball. It's going to be ridiculous. Um, whether or not it's in the NBA or not, we'll see. But uh, he's going to make money playing basketball for a lot of years. Let's uh, let's move forward into some of the names that I wanted to discuss. With uh, Cassius Winston here, uh, whenever we get to that interview, we I specifically asked him to pitch me uh, on why a team should draft Xavier Tillman. You'll have to wait for that interview to hear his answer. I thought it was pretty great. Uh, it's for many of the reasons that I've been uh, a fan of Xavier Tillman. I think he is probably the best prospect who is still up in the air about returning, regardless of what Dick Vitale is out here reporting. He's he's awesome, and I don't understand why – there's a conversation about whether or not like he's going to get a guaranteed contract because my understanding of the situation is uh, for people that don't know like he's he's married and he already has two children like he's got a family that he's got to support so if he he can't go into a situation where like he doesn't know um, where the paycheck is coming from right right he he has to go into a situation where he knows uh, he's going to have a job and he's looking for a guaranteed contract and for the life of me I don't understand why it's so difficult for him to get that guarantee. Because I think he's a guy that should probably go, like, at the very latest in the early 20s. And uh, that's just because... That's where I have him, by the way. I have him at 22. Like, it's so easy to see the role that he's going to play in the NBA, right? Like, there are guys in this draft that have a much higher ceiling than him uh, in the front court. But those players... They they got to develop and you got to you got to go in there and you got to like put strength on Jalen Smith or you got to teach Daniel Latoro how to move his feet and and there's things that you have to do to be able to get those other big men 
to be able to get to the point that they're better than Xavier Tillman. But right now, for a guy that is as intelligent as he is, that has the basketball IQ that he does, that is as good defensively as he is, that is as good of a passer as he is, that is, uh, that what, 6'9", 245 pounds? He carries himself professionally. He understands that he has, that there's more to this than just basketball, right? He's a really smart kid. He's going to be a great locker room influence. I don't understand why he's not getting it. Like, there's no guarantee for him out there. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I think people are. Um, I, I think there might be a guarantee. I, I'm not sure what he's going to do, to be honest. Like, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I have inside information um, on Xavier Tillman beyond saying that his decision is not made. The the Dick Vitale thing was hilarious uh, on multiple fronts because he jumped the gun so far ahead uh, of it, and then uh, later that day tweeted about accountability uh, from the coaches that participate in my college coaches poll. Uh, how about being accountable and saying that you got it wrong, Dickie V, on Xavier Tillman because no decision has been made on Xavier Tillman returning to Michigan State. And, and he also has like a pretty great setup at Michigan State for somebody yes. that is like a, a, a father and a, and a husband, right? Like they have him in an apartment. They have – he doesn't have to pay anything for rent. He right. is able. He told me that he's able to get $1,200 a month uh, whatever, like if you're a, if you're a, a father in school, like he's able to get on top of his stipend, on top of the scholarship, on top of all of that, he's able to get twelve hundred dollars a month just to be able to spend on diapers and, and baby formula and baby food and, and whatever he needs to spend to be able to support his family. So he's not paying rent. He has he doesn't have to worry about paying like cable bills or anything like that. He has extra money coming in on top of the stipend, on top of what he's that he's getting for yep. um, for the scholarship money, and he's going to be able to come back and get his degree. Like all of that stuff, knowing what you have, that security in in this time, like in the middle of a pandemic, that security and knowing you have that for you for your family is something that is very appealing to him. So um, it, it's. Again, he's another guy that has a very real decision to make because coming back to school is something that provides a little bit of that security. Now, if this was a situation where there was uh, no pandemic and he was his decision was like, okay, uh, maybe I'm in the first round, but there's a chance I could drop like to 45 or something like that. If you drop to 45, the odds are pretty good that you're going to end up being able to make, what, like six figures and at least – like at the very minimum, find yourself on a two-way somewhere. Yeah, right? if he if he goes forty-five, I would imagine he's going to get a guaranteed deal. Um, I, I will say he has graduated already. Uh, he, he is has graduated. Okay. Yeah, he he has already graduated from Michigan State. Um, if if he ends up on a two-way next year, assuming two ways exist, by the way, like if there's no G League. How do two-way contracts function in that world? I, I'm not entirely clear on that for what it's worth, but. In Tillman's case, if he ends up on a two-way next year, like NBA teams will just so have royally fucked this up in such a substantial way that it's hard for me to fathom. Um, having said that, though, like NBA teams I've talked to are like less enthused than we are about him. Like they they think he's a second-round pick. From like I'm not going to sit here and tell you there are no teams that have him and no evaluators that have him as a first-round pick, but like. The general consensus I get is like 30 to 40 right now. And that's a guy that probably gets a guaranteed deal, almost certainly gets a guaranteed deal 
But and, and I do kind of get that because, it, like, with your first-round picks, if you know that you're going to have to spend X amount of dollars for, for four years or whatever it is, like, you can't, you you want to swing for the fences, right? Like, the late first round, like you kind of right. want to try to hit a home run. Like, so I, I understand that to a point. That, that's how NBA yeah. teams think, by the way. I, I don't think that way. Like, I'm fucking ecstatic to get Derek White and Josh Hart on these cheap deals that, that they can step in from day one and be valuable. But especially because if you're drafting at the end of the first round, like, you're a good team. You don't need to be trying to hit home runs. you got to, like, plug a hole that you got in your in your in your roster to be able to go out and win an, uh, an NBA title the next year. Yeah, but you're 100% right in terms of the way they think. Uh, that is absolutely the way that a lot of organizations think. I, I don't really get it. Um, in, in Tillman's case, I, I, again, like I don't think we're going to advise people whether to stay or go, right? But I, I would say his situation is as complicated as any um, – insofar as I don't think he has a bad decision because he's so set up at Michigan State in a really positive manner. But he is also a very good basketball player already. Like, he's a professional. Like, I I talked to teams that have interviewed him in the pre-draft process, and they're like, this guy already carries himself like a 10-year veteran. He's at a different life stage than where – any other draft prospect is right now. So it's amazing like talking to him because I, I wrote a big story on on dads in in college basketball last March and I spent like 35 minutes with him on the phone just talking about like what his his daily regimen is and when you have two children and you have to go to class and you have to go to practice and you have to do all these other things and you have to get to the gym and you have to make sure you eat right like he has to be so regimented and disciplined in the way that he spends his time to be able to function that he's he like you said he very much is carrying himself as a professional basketball player while he's in college right he he, it goes so far as he told me that what he does whenever he goes to these team meals like he doesn't sit there and eat with his team he'll hang out do whatever he's got to do but he'll pack up all the food that he needs and bring it back home and have dinner with his family so it's like he he very much understands his priorities in life he's got his head on straight he he's just over the years, like Sam, you've done this for a long time too. Like you, you've talked with a lot of different kids with a lot of different personalities, and I think that just speaking with him, he's he's one of my favorite kids that I've ever interviewed and never talked with and never covered. Um, just because of, of of maybe it's because I'm a dad now and I can relate to him a little bit more. But it's just the way that he handles himself is on a completely different level. That's why I said. I think he would be an amazing fit in a locker room. It's just he's the yep. kind of guy you want in your organization. So it makes no sense to me. Father Tillman, we're, we're pitching Father Tillman hard on this podcast. Let's, Xavier uh, Tillman Senior. I, I love that he's got the senior on the back of his jersey now. Congrats on the sex, Xavier. Um, <laughs> let's go to Tyrell Terry because I think Tyrell has the situation where a he's very wide on team sports. Uh, there are teams I've talked to and evaluators I've talked to within teams that think he is like a first-round pick, unquestionably. There are evaluators that think he's not a first-round pick and don't really want him uh, at number 35 even. Like they, they think there's a lot more guys that they're willing to draft in this class because they think that eventually the juice is not going to be worth the squeeze on his game. I personally have him as a first-round pick because I believe in the ability to – uh, develop his live dribble passing because he's because of his unselfishness. And if you can do that and he can tighten up his handle as he gets stronger, he's going to be a really, really valuable NBA point guard due to his shooting ability and due to his basketball IQ. Having said that, if he returns to school, 
Stanford, I think, is not just like a Pac-12 contender. They are a national contender uh, in a way that not nearly enough people have discussed. They're going to have him and Zaire Williams, both of whom are going to enter next season as projected lottery picks if Tyrell returns. They're going to have Oscar De Silva, who is a elite-level European pro prospect, if not necessarily an NBA prospect. Bryce Wills is like six foot four with a seven foot wingspan and can defend his ass off. Spencer Jones is a real NBA prospect because he's six foot seven and shoots forty percent from three. Um, Dejon Davis is like a fifth or a fourth year senior starting guard who's already started three years there. Uh, they're they're loaded across the board. This is a team that would be ready to contend for a national title, in my opinion, if Tyrell returns. If he doesn't return. Things get real dicey for them because they don't really have a great point guard. So I, would, I will be intrigued to see what Tyrell does. And if he decides, hey, I want to go back to Stanford knowing that scouts are going to come out and see me, assuming there's a season. Or if he just decides, I'm going to strike while the iron's hot and I'm going to go and bet that the teams that love me, love me enough to pick me. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the biggest question mark, right? So so for me, with Terry, I think that if he comes back to school, he's the kind of, like, that, that breakout star that could have the, I don't want to put him quite in the category of, like, a Buddy Heald or an Obi Toppin because both of those guys were, like, National Player of the Year candidates. The, the, guy but, that, the guy that I've compared him to is Tyrese Halliburton. Like, what Halliburton was doing this year, I think, would have been, or would be what Terry will do if he returns. Okay, that's a, I actually love that comparison. So he goes from a guy that's kind of like, well, if Halliburton left after his freshman year, would he have gotten drafted? Yes, would have been. There were teams that liked him at the end of the first round, um, and he definitely would have been picked, for sure. Yeah, so you, your decision is roll the dice on getting a guaranteed contract uh, or getting a fir- being a first-round pick, getting a guaranteed contract right now uh, in kind of the pandemic era, or coming back to school where – uh, you have a chance to be like a breakout star, turn into a top 10 pick, yep. uh, play for a team that has a chance to win a national title um, if there actually is a college basketball season. So that's that's where all the risk comes into play. So uh, I, I think the big thing is, and I don't, I'm not sure if we've talked about this yet, Sam, but the big thing is like I would expect every single one of these guys to like push that decision all the way back as far as they can. Yep. Um, and just to get as much information as possible, because it's very easy to speculate now and saying, assuming there is a college basketball season. But if in three weeks it looks very unlikely there's a college basketball season, this is the kind of decision where it's like Tyrell probably just has to go, right? I think so. I think he does. I think he'll get a guaranteed deal uh, if he decides to go through the draft process. I'm not saying like 100% certainty he gets one. I would say with reasonable confidence he'll get one. Uh, there are enough teams out there that really like him and really love his upside as a shooter, and he's a great kid and has exceptional feel for the game and exceptional unselfishness. Like, I think someone would take a shot on him. I don't think it's a guarantee he would go in the first round right now. I have him at 30 uh, on my most recent up, updated mock draft from last week. So I think it's tight. I think it's really tight for Tyrell in terms of the decision, given the fact that, again, He's returning to a positive situation. Like, the next guy that we're going to talk about is Robert Woodard, who I kind of sneaky get higher on the more I watch him. Like, I think that I have him at, like, 37 on my board now uh, after being someone that was 40s, early 50s uh, throughout the early part of the pre-draft process. Robert Woodard would be returning to a Mississippi State team that I would imagine that you're with me in saying, A, frankly, doesn't look very good next year. And B, 
doesn't really have the guards that will get him the ball, and C is not going to utilize him properly in terms of just his offensive role, right? Yeah, it's so with, with Tyrell Terry, right? The idea of coming back to school, there's an upside there. You could end up being a lottery pick. You could end up winning a national title. You have all of this stuff to play for. There's there's a very clear benefit for you to coming back to school with Robert Woodard. What's the benefit to coming back? Like, how much higher can he play himself? In oh, the draft? I, I mean, if he goes out and drops 20 points a game next year, drops, let's say, 17 or 18 points a game next year, and proves the shooting from this year. Because I think a big open question for him is from teams is how good of a shooter is he, really? The, he shot like 43% from three this year on limited attempts. If he was to go out and shoot 39 next year even, I think teams would be like, Okay, this guy's real. Let's take him at you know fifteen or so. Okay, but there's also a downside there because what happens if he really is a thirty percent three point shooter and it just doesn't come around, right? Right. Like, what it, does he end up being the uh, who was the guy for Clemson that came back for his Jerome Blossom year? game? Yeah, it could end up being a Jerome Blossom game type situation. So it's not, it's not like a for me. It kind of feels like Tyrell Terry's a. I don't want to say it's a sure thing because nothing is a sure thing. But it sure does kind of feel like a sure thing, doesn't it? If he comes back, he's going to be able to play his way into being somewhere close to a lottery pick. Whereas with Robert Woodard, it's like, yeah, he could do these things. Yeah, this could also happen. Um, so there's a very real risk and a, and a downside to him coming back to school to say nothing of the fact that like we might not even have a college basketball season. Right. So I feel like his decision is easier than anyone else that we've discussed at this point. Like if you're Robert Woodard and someone says, that, yeah, we're going to draft you – 35th and you're going to get a two-year guaranteed deal for whatever the NBA minimum the the minimum salary you can make right. I think that that's something that you have to jump at if I was advising him that's something that I would tell him to do because uh, the the yes it, it might not there's a best case scenario if you come back to school but there's also a worst case scenario where like that was the best money that you ever going to have a chance to make in your life as a basketball player so uh, I, I do think that it's something where he has less of a decision than someone like a Tyrell Terry does or someone like a Luca Garza does. So um, I, I would not be shocked to see him keep his name in the draft because it seems like it's a much uh, easier choice with all of the uncertainty that surrounds the college basketball season. Uh, let's go with Jared Butler and Corey Kispert next. And let, let's kind of rapid fire through some of these guys because I don't want to say they're uninteresting. I think they're very interesting, but we're, we're getting into pretty clear second-round pick territory in my yeah, opinion. So- so Corey Kispert is, I kind of feel like he is what he is, right? And, and he kind of knows what he is. It's like a big guard that can yep. defend a little bit and that can make some threes and plays within himself and plays smart and is just kind of good at, at, at everything. Will make shots, has, has some gravity, will fit in an NBA-style offense, won't be a star, will be a role player, but knows he's a role player. If, if I say he's Joe Harris, is that too much of like comparing a white guy to a white guy? No, that's the, that's the pitch that... Uh, I think even I think even that name is getting brought up uh, by him within interviews with teams. Yeah, so I, I feel like the conversation with Corey Kispert has is is much more interesting when you talk about how good Gonzaga can be with him as opposed to what they will be without him. Um, so that's probably like I, I don't know if this is is this still a college basketball podcast? Like is game theory? Have you fully gone to the NBA? I just kind of talk about what I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, so I, like the conference like. 
Gonzaga can be a national title contender, like a national title favorite with Corey Kispert. They yep. are a top 10, top 15 team without Corey Kispert, in my opinion. So it's a much interesting conversation at the college level and the pro level for what he has to do. As far as Jared Butler is for, I, I will say, though, on Kispert, uh, before we get to Butler, I, I think Kispert has a pretty real shot to get a guaranteed deal. I, I don't know like if he will get one for sure, but I think that he has a pretty real shot to get one. I mean, he does a job that's really valuable at the right. NBA level, right? Like, you're never going to – again, you're not drafting him because you think he's going to end up being a superstar at the next level, but you're drafting him because he can do a job and fill a role on, that, that's important for teams that are trying to win. So I, I get it. I totally get it. I would I would draft him and sign him up right away. And like, if he's your eighth or ninth man, I feel like that's a pretty good uh, situation for an NBA team. Uh, for Jared Butler, I, I personally don't – get it as much as other people get like I talk me into him being an NBA pick like I, I just it's hard for me to wrap my head around the idea that he's going to be an NBA player because like I'm much more maybe it's because of what I watched with Baylor this year in terms of being excited about what the, the things that they were doing defensively and like the innovative way that, that Scott Drew was playing on that end of the floor but I was so much more excited about watching like Davion Mitchell eat up whoever he was guarding and Mark Vidal go out there and like be a fat six foot three dude dunking on everybody yeah so with Butler, it's super high-level technical ball handler who can get separation. Uh, not like a terrible athlete by any stretch. Pretty good athlete. Uh, high-level shooter, six foot three combo guard who can kind of come in and come off the bench and knock down shots. Uh, and I think that at some point he probably will play in the NBA doing that. So you're basically drafting your kind of like your your second team point guard more or less. Maybe a guy that could be a microwave scorer. Yeah, you're drafting a second team microwave scorer, which is why I have him at like forty forty four, I think, right now forty five, something like that. Yeah. So again, he's a guy that has like I feel like he. If you're saying that he could be a second round pick, and if you're picked at forty fourth, then you, you're probably going to get a a guaranteed deal. Um, He's got a, he, another kid with, a, like, a real tough decision to make because Baylor can win yeah. a national title next year. But there also could be no college basketball season. So if you can go out and get that guaranteed money, that's uh, that, that's a very – And in, <laughs> in the context of the draft, situation. too, I think it's important to note that contending for a national title is code for, oh, fuck, all of my games will be on TV. So it's going to be easy for me to build a narrative behind me in terms of the draft and get eyeballs on my game from NBA evaluators. Yeah, because everyone's going to be watching every game that Baylor plays. They're going to get a ton of national TV games, a ton of games where your boy Dick Vitale is going to be calling, a ton of games where Jay Billis is going to be explaining why Jared Butler is a star. You're going to get Fran Fischillo out here um, hyping him up. Fran Fischillo loves nothing more than hyping up Big 12 guys that no one has ever heard of before, Big 12 under-the-radar guy, uh, under the radar guys. So uh, if you, you can like, have uh, 15 of your 18 conference games being called by Fran Fraschilla, who's going to talk about how great Jared Butler is every time he sees him, it's pretty ideal. That's it for top 50 guys for me that are testing the waters. Uh, Io DeSunmu and Kofi Coburn, we can just rapid fire through some of these guys. I think there's real upside if Io goes back. Uh, Kofi, I'm not as intrigued by just because he's a big and a lumberer and doesn't really fit the way the NBA is going. With Io, though, if he can go back and re- like prove he can shoot the basketball, there's a very real chance he could go from where he is now to making the leap that someone like a Peyton Pritchard or a Malachi Flynn did this year. <laughs> and that's the exact same conversation we had last June about Io DeSumo. It is. Um, 
Kofi Coburn. And by the way, Io got better this year. Like, it's not even like he didn't improve. It's that he made real, tangible progress in his game. He's a hard worker. He's known as a great kid. He just needs to keep making that progress, I think. And if he keeps doing it, there is upside. And, like, he's got balls of steel. That dude made more big shots than anybody else right. uh, in college basketball last season. I, I really like him. I'm just saying, like, we, we had this bit, this exact same conversation about him. Is that jumper going to come around uh, last year? And as far as Kofi Coburn is concerned, if this was the 1997 NBA draft, he would not have a decision to make because he'd be a top-10 pick. It is 2020, though, and, and <laughs> big guys that can't move their feet are not something that NBA teams want. So, uh, Kofi, if you're listening to this, please come back to school. What I'm interested in is why you don't have Eve's Pawns in your top 50. Oh, I've got him at like 57 or so, something like that. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm an Eve's Pawns stan. I, I, I love him. I think that he's a guy, if I was drafting in the early second round, I would, I would take him, no questions. What do you do with him on offense right now? I think that he is a guy that can make step in threes. I think he's a guy that can... Uh, space the floor for you, but that's really all he can do in my mind. But I also but, think but you have to play him at the five doing that because, like, I don't think he can handle the ball well enough and be enough of a playmaker to even play the four in today's NBA. Yeah, but I don't think you're not drafting him to be a guy that's going to play 35, 40 minutes, right? You're drafting him to kind of be like a defensive specialist, someone that can, you can come in and uh, give different lineup looks, someone that if you're, you're buying the way that he shot uh, this past season, um, they're not someone that I think can space the floor for you a little bit. I, I just I think that there is a, a something that he does at, a, at an NBA level, right? Defend. I think he's going to be yep. uh, able to guard any. Like we talk about, oh, he can guard any positions, and normally um, you're just kind of like you're saying that just to say it. But I really do think that East Pons is the kind of guy that can guard like from point guards all the way up to centers if you need him to. So yeah, I think you're drafting an elite defender that has some real potential as a shooter that can play a very specific role for a team. And if you're looking for like 12 to 15 minutes off the bench to give different looks in different lineups, I think there's value to that. So um, I would take that in the early second round. It's just, I, you've got to know what you're drafting. Like you're not drafting him to be a star. You're drafting him to do a very specific job. Yeah. I, I think that Eve is what people think Tyler Bay is in a lot of ways. Like Tyler Bay is a mess defensively in terms of positioning. <laughs> than being, like, in the right spot consistently and being able to actually defend fours and fives because he's so skinny, right? Like, Eve can do all of the switchy stuff that Tyler Bay does. He won the Defensive Player of the Year in a better league and is an elite-level shot blocker uh, for his size. So And it, he's freaking jacked, too, dude. Like, that uh, – there's – that dude should probably be like a tight end or something because he right. is so jacked. He's 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 probably the best athlete in college basketball. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, who else do we have here? We have Trendon Watford, Darius Days, Javante Smart. Uh, any strong thoughts on the LSU guys? I, I mean, go back. I, I think they, to be honest, they, prob- they probably should. You know, I, I think Trendon Watford is maybe the only guy that would really con- like you can consider it. Uh, but again, he's a guy where uh, he would be in that situation of probably like his best case scenario is kind of like a two way type deal. Like I, I just I don't know. I'm not I'm not sold on any of those guys. Yeah, I think Trendon could actually help himself next year, but uh, I, I'm not sold on any of those guys long term. Darius is actually a little bit interesting too. I, I will note him now that I think about it. Really, Javante is the guy I'm not real interested in. Same with Emmett Williams. But I think that Trendon Watford and Darius Days should go back and have real upside. Uh, Aaron Henry, I think, just 
he has very real upside next year to be a first-round pick. He should go back. If he can shoot it consistently and play at the level that he was starting to play at late in the season, he can actually be a first-round pick next year. This yeah, year, I would recommend that he goes back. But he's he has, especially because Cassius isn't going to be there to handle all the playmaking duties, and I think that a lot of what makes Aaron Henry appealing is is the fact that he can do some of that. So, um, yeah, I do think that that is his his best bet is to come back because it'll be more like last year was Cassius's team. They built it around Cassius with uh, with Xavier Tillman being like the second option, and next year that's not going to be there, especially if Xavier Tillman is gone. Yep. Uh, Isaiah Joe, same deal. Guy that has a real first-round pick upside next year. Dealt with injuries this year. Wasn't, frankly, very good last year, I didn't think. Um, didn't do anything but shoot it at like a 37% clip, 36% clip. So uh, he, he should also go back. I think he can help himself. And then Matt Mitchell at San Diego State, I think, could help himself by going back, too. Matt Mitchell had my favorite dunk of the college basketball season last year. Like, he's, he's like kind of this chubby guy. And I think it was against New Mexico, and there was, like, a ball rolling to half court, and he just was, like, on a slow jog and picked it up and kind of out of nowhere, cocked it back. It felt like he cocked it all the way back to his waist and dunked it on somebody right on their head. And it just it came out of absolutely nowhere. So that was my probably my favorite dunk in college basketball last season. Is there anyone else that you can think of off the top of your head that you really uh... – feel like we need to discuss. Like Jalen Crutcher, I think, you know, could help himself by going back and proving that he wasn't a product of Obi Toppin. Uh, you know, I think A.J. Lawson, Isaiah Livers, uh, Isaiah Miller, those guys have already decided to go back. Remy Martin at Arizona State. I'll be somewhat interested to see what he does, if only because he'll have fewer shots to take next year with Josh Christopher around. Um there's one guy that you haven't mentioned, and I'm kind of shocked that you didn't mention him. I was I was Who? really expecting to talk about him. Chris Smith at UCLA. Oh, yeah. No, I really like Chris. Uh, I think that he is excellent at uh, being a prospect. <laughs> He's uh, not quite there yet, but six foot nine, very uh, fluid athletically for his size. I think he can shoot it. He's a really smart kid. Um, I, I think that he's a very interesting prospect. The thing that's interesting to me about him is he is actually – he's a junior in college, and he's actually three months younger than Precious Ashua and Cassius Stanley, who are both freshmen this year. So it's great. that's the thing to me is, like, he's six he's nine, He could do all these things. And he's also younger than a lot of these one-and-done freshmen that we're a little bit hyped about. So uh, it's just it, – it's fun with birthdays that you got to look at. I love it. Uh, Rob, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what you've got going on other than having children. <laughs> you can find my work at NBCSports.com, and if you are looking for another podcast to listen to when you're into the college basketball thing, uh, the College Basketball Talk podcast hosted by NBC Sports. Uh, it's me and uh, the legend Bobby Regan that run that podcast. Go listen to Rob. He does great work. Uh, we'll be back momentarily here uh, with an interview with Cassius Winston. All right, that was super fun with Rob. But before we get to Cassius Winston, grab your peanuts and popcorn. Baseball is back. That's right. The boys will be getting out on the diamond this week. And while we may not be able to join them at the park, there is plenty of action to be had from the comfort of your home. DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is putting you on the field with a shot to play risk-free for a chance at hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you haven't tried it yet, 
Fantasy baseball is easy to play. Just pick 10 players, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for hits, runs, strikeouts, and more. There's no better way to put your baseball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at hundreds of thousands of dollars. But if baseball isn't for you, don't worry. DraftKings is offering plenty of fantasy golf action for this week's tournament. With millions up for grabs this week, there is no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings. I personally, myself, have already jumped into that fantasy golf action. Uh, I am all in on the 3M Open this weekend. Download the DraftKings app now and use that promo code RUN, R-U-N, to get a free shot at a share of the millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's promo code RUN to get a free shot at a share of millions of dollars with your first deposit only at DraftKings minimum $5 deposit required eligibility restrictions apply see DraftKings.com for details the second ad here it's for the athletic NBA show I'm going to be on there occasionally it's a fantastic fantastic way to spend an hour of your time daily with the return of the NBA season coming fast. The athletic has launched the athletic NBA show, a daily podcast combining some of your favorite basketball voices under one umbrella, David Aldridge, Ethan Strauss, Marcus Thompson, Zach Harper, Sam Amick, Wozni Lombre, Dave Dufour, Seth Partnow, Mo DeKeel, John Hollinger, Jason Quick, Kavitha Davidson, Jay King, Fred Katz, whoever you want, from the athletic. I bet that if you reached out to some of the hosts, they'd probably put them on. It's going to be full spectrum NBA consumption. Something's going to be there for everybody. Every day features a new show covering everything from insider news to cultural issues and deep dives into in-game analytics. It's produced by Jade Hoy, who's one of the best in the business. So before things tip off later this month, make sure you subscribe to The Athletics NBA Show, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's go to Cassius Winston. Right, we're back here on the Game Theory Podcast with Cassius Winston. Cassius Winston uh, has been one of the most decorated college basketball players over the course of the last four years, a former Big Ten Player of the Year, a former All-American, uh, one of the most fun point guards to watch in all of college basketball for the last four years. So Cassius, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. So... As I kind of told you before the show, this audience for this podcast tends to be a little bit more NBA-oriented. I know you've been on national TV now probably a 100 times, it seems like. But for people who don't necessarily watch as much college basketball and maybe haven't seen you play, how would you describe your own game? Um, I'll describe my game as uh, a playmaker, you know, someone who has a good feel for the game, uh, you know, plays at my Plays and play. I play at my own pace. Uh, try to try to see things, get other people involved, and just try to make the right plays. I'm so glad you brought up that idea of playing at your own pace because that's something I really wanted to kind of broach with you because you know you're six foot, six foot one, something in that range. You're not the most explosive guy, but 
you consistently find these little ways to get separation, right? Uh, or what are you kind of reading with defenders there? Are you reading their hips? Is it a situation where you're going in with having watched a lot of tape pregame and you kind of know guys' tendencies? How do you go about getting that bit of separation that you've become so good at creating? Uh, it's, uh, it's all about just reactions, you know. Uh, I do I do a good job of working on my game to the point where uh, if I need to make a counter, I can always make a counter. I can always change directions, you know, use other people's bodies, like you said, their hips, or uh, a person might be on their heels, try to get them on their heels to kind of, you know, anything to create a little bit of, like, distraction or advantage for me, and then I'm able to kind of take advantage of that. And you're so good at using your body to shield the ball, too. You're great at uh, just finding these little – if a defender is just off slightly in terms of balance, like he's a little bit out on his front foot, you just attack the shit out of that front foot, right? Like if he is just slightly off balance, leaning left, you just have that ability to go right in an instant. Is it really just kind of reaction in the way that you said? Like is it it preparation? I guess like it's kind of a similar question, but it it really is – so essential to the understanding of your game, I think, just how you go about uh, creating that separation and, you know, creating angles, really, to drive. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's both. Uh, It is a lot of preparation, you know, like me working on my game, me watching film, me watching other teams, uh, watching players, how they check, and certain things that they do. So, like, you just know what to look for. You know, every situation is not going to be the same, you know, but everyone has tendencies. So you kind of know what to look for and how to kind of exploit those tendencies. And then the other part is just, you know, playing. Like, I play a lot of basketball. I watch a lot of basketball. So, like, the reaction is like, you like, okay, I've seen this before. I know how to create this or I know what to do in this situation. And you kind of just, you use that. You've been one of the best players with a ball screen in college basketball for, you know, three or four years now, realistically. And I'm kind of really just interested in how you go about developing your, like, mode of attack coming out of ball screens. Are you looking uh, just at that first level of defenders and trying to figure out how to attack initially? Or are your eyes already darting to the second and third level trying to figure out, okay, if I do this, the help is going to go here and I'm going to have a cross-corner kick out, you know, going to the left. Uh, if the... Uh- Go ahead. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, looking once you get good enough, you definitely start to look at the second and third level. Uh, in a ball screen situation, I know where two people are. You know what I'm saying? Like before the ball screen even happens, like I I don't have to really like look for those two because they're on me. Like they're right with me, so I'm no longer like really paying attention to them. You know what I'm saying? Like directly because mm-hmm. I know where they are where they are in the ball screen. So from there, you're looking at the 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 backside, the help, the tag man, or you know, if he's tagging in on the roller or if he's sticking to the shooter, uh, you're looking at the strong side. If he's sinking in to try to play the role, like you look, you try to pay attention to those levels so you can kind of make the reads. Speaking of ball screens, you know, the big thing that I really enjoyed watching with you was your partnership with Xavier Tillman over the last two years, realistically. Uh, you know, Xavier didn't play a crazy amount as a freshman, but over the last two years, that relationship really blossomed. And this year, Particularly, it seemed like he became a lot more versatile in how he was setting screens for you. Like he would Mm -hmm. uh, vary his roles in very specific ways. He would flip ball screens if he saw the defender going a different way just right at the last second. 
I'm really interested in the idea of establishing chemistry with a pick and roll partner. How did you and Xavier go about establishing the incredible chemistry that you had in ball screens? Oh, uh, you know, just we both have similar minds in that way of like being creative, uh, you know, that, that sense of creativity in those screens, uh, working out together. We did plenty of like ball screen work. Like he knows, you know, which way I like to come off. Or he knows like in certain situations how I would like to come get a shot or best way for him to get a shot like just because we worked on it so much and had those conversations so you know it took time just us working with each other seeing what each other like giving each other suggestions and we both were just open to you know if he thinks like this will work then we're like all right bet we'll try it and he'll be like okay maybe not maybe we'll try it this way so it's just a constant like communication that kind of happened between us Xavier still hasn't decided what he's going to do, obviously, and I'm not going to ask you to break news here in terms of what Xavier's going to do uh, in regard to the draft, but can you give me a pitch for an NBA team on why you think an NBA team should draft Xavier Tillman? Oh, I think every team should draft Xavier Tillman. Uh, like, he's just, if your goal is championships, if your goal is, you know, winning and competing with the best, you know, this is a guy that you want on your team. You want a guy that loves to defend, loves to make plays for his teammates, wants to win no matter what uh great guy great locker room guy great guy to be around like he just adds a positivity to the organization to the team that gives you this mindset that you can be the best so if you're a team that that mode and that's what you want to do like this is this is your guy yeah to me i'm a i'm a big fan of xavier Uh, i think he should absolutely be a first round pick and uh, I would definitely recommend that NBA teams listen to your little pitch there because uh, I think it was really, really smart in the way that yeah, uh, you went about it. The guy that kind of reminds me most of you, though, uh, entering the draft is a guy that got drafted in kind of a similar space to where you are now, like a guy that, you know, end of the first round, early second round pick, uh, Devontae Graham. He really took an enormous leap this year, and the things that mm-hmm. – I kind of see with you and Devonte as being similar is, you know, first and foremost, you're both elite level decision makers coming off of ball screens. You're both incredible passers. Uh, you're not necessarily attacking downhill at the basket regularly. You just know how to use angles and use space and, uh, you know, stick within your areas on the perimeter of the court uh, while drawing defenders toward you. But more than that, you're both just constant, consistent, pull-up threats coming off these ball screens. I mean, if defenders don't stay attached to you coming off of those ball screens, it's just going up, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you kind of look at Devontae and see someone that can be uh, a model for you? And then on top of that, who are some of the other guys that you watch and just kind of try and pick apart little pieces of their game to add to yours? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, Devontae is a guy I've been watching a lot. Uh, just like you see, like you can see, like some similarities in you know his style of play and the way he moves and operates and creates space and can shoot the ball really well. Like you know, what I'm saying you, so you watch and see how he's successful in the league and how he makes plays. And you, I, of course, I'm gonna try to steal a couple of those things to create my <laughs> own, <laughs> create my own success for myself. Uh, so like anybody I can watch that I can kind of pick apart take things from that's going to help my game, I do. Uh, guys like Kyle Lowry, uh, Van Fleet, uh, Chris Paul in the pick and roll. Like, just, you know, I try to take – I try to watch and take as much little things as I can. You know, no, no player is going to be identical. No player is going to be uh, 100% similar. But I can try to steal as much as I can because those are guys who are doing it and are successful at it. 
So the last thing I want to ask you in regard to your game before we move on to some more fun things, what are some of the things that you know that you need to work on before you get to the NBA? What are some of the deficiencies that you see as uh, stuff that you need to try and improve? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, always, you know, my strength is a major a major thing. You know what I'm saying? The stronger I get, just the more I'm able to play as myself and make those type of plays and make those type of decisions and create that type of space. So, you know, my lower body strength, upper body strength, uh, you know, things like lateral quickness, like all those type of things that are just the physical end of things that I'm going to have to keep working on. Extending range on my jump shot, you know, is one of the things that's going to help me a lot if I can knock down jump shots at a, at a really consistent rate. So all those type of things I'm working on to kind of help that help that transition be a little easier. So for people who don't know, you're an extremely academically inclined kid. Uh, you went to UD Jesuit in Detroit, which is mm-hmm. uh, a very strong academic high school. I, I believe that your team is the only one that like has ever won a state title, uh, for instance, there. It's not some yeah. like, basketball academy, right? Yeah, yeah. So you had offers from, I believe, Michigan State in addition to, like, Harvard, Stanford, like Michigan, some of these the higher-end academic institutions. How did you go about making your decision to end up at Michigan State versus Michigan or other uh, schools? Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, uh, like, my mom was huge on, like, education. Uh, that's what's going to set you up for the – you know, the rest of your life, you know, all those type of things like that. She didn't really understand how big basketball actually was, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> like how big, how many things, like, you can accomplish from being successful at basketball. Like, she didn't really – she she just now actually starting to understand, like, basketball is something that can carry you for the rest of your life. So, like, you know, when you got schools like Harvard and Stanford and Michigan, like, you know what I'm saying, trying to pay for your education, like, she was, like, all on board for that and – you know, me and my pops was kind of like, ah, you know, that's cool and all, but, you know what I'm saying, we're really trying to get to the NBA. Like, that's really that's really where, we, where we're trying to go. So we had to sit her down, uh, have that talk, and uh, Michigan State was just the best option. You know, it was the best option for me in terms of the type of player I was, the things that I needed to learn, uh, and other schools that were up there in that same category. They were missing a couple things, like just like, Michigan State was had that toughness that, uh, you know, kind of like that. We don't really care what kind of name you got. Like, you got to yeah. prove who you are. Like, that kind of that kind of mindset at Michigan State. So, that was like the perfect environment for me to kind of grow and become who I needed to be. Yeah, and not to disparage Michigan necessarily, but I, I got told a story from a source that was just like, uh, you know, you would kind of come down to Michigan and Michigan State. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, at the end of my decision – uh, it was Michigan and Michigan State, and I, Michigan was just, like, a little too, like, soft for me. Like, the whole kind of – I don't know. Something about Michigan kind of gave me, like, a a vibe that wasn't, like uh, – I don't know. The best example I give is, like, so I go to an open gym at Michigan, like, you know what I'm saying, when I'm a junior or senior or whatever like that, and it was almost like they were, like, trying to, like, sell me to come, like, being fans, like, you know what I'm saying, like, giving me compliments, like, things like that at the open gym. And then I go to open gym at Michigan State, and it was more like a who are you type of, like, like what do you – you don't belong here, and if you do, you got to prove it that you belong on this court. And I was like, that's kind of like – that's all right. That's where I need to be. That's the environment I like to be in. And it, it worked out better for me. 
I love that so much. And if that doesn't show that, like, you're going to be ready for whatever the NBA has to toss at you, because, I mean, obviously the NBA is going to be an incredible step up in competition. I mean, uh, a lot of guys don't necessarily want to prove it in that way that you do. So uh, I'm excited to see uh, how ready you're going to be to step up to the NBA, because, you know, you want to have to prove that to people, it feels like. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I want to, like I said, only only point I heard playing is you want to play the best. Uh, that's that's the that's the fun of it. That's the thrill in it. It's competing and trying to go against the best. So you and Tom Izzo obviously have a very very close relationship. What is your best Tom Izzo story? What is your funniest Tom Izzo story that you can actually relay on the podcast? <laughs> um, funniest Tom Izzo story. That I can say on the podcast. See, now that's tough. See, the, the, on the podcast makes it kind of <laughs> difficult. Uh, I don't know, man. He's, he's a great guy. Uh, maybe one of the best stories is when I was – it had to be like my freshman year, and I was struggling. Like, it was the first time he ever did this. I was struggling uh, in the game. I don't know what it was, but, like, he was screaming, like screaming at me, cussing me out, told somebody to come get me brought me to the side and like he just calmed down talked to me and was like it's all right man you know what i'm saying whoopty whoopty woo everybody goes through it you'll be all right and threw me right back in the game and like <laughs> that kind of like you know what i'm saying and yeah. like, i stepped back in maybe like 30 seconds like, i don't know 45 seconds whatever it was and sent me back in the game it just, it just goes to show you know how like how, how much he understands and how much he you know cares for his players and want them to be successful and like you know like, that's just the epitome of his story. Like, he would get on me, but at the end of the day, like, he would help me out, and he would go back out. He would let me go back out there and kind of prove myself, and he will ride with me. So it, it, was, it, was a, it was a pretty good relationship. Yeah, like, I feel, you know, last year there was that big deal with, like, Aaron Henry in the NCAA tournament, right? But I feel yeah. like whenever you're going to Michigan State and you're going to play for Tom Izzo, you kind of know what you're signing up for in terms of the intensity with Tom. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. – you know, like, look, I mean, would I prefer that he doesn't, like, grab a dude and just, like, throw him on the bench? Like, sure. But you also know that he has your best interests and cares about you guys above all else. And I feel like that's that's kind of what got lost in that conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Just, you know, how much he cares, how much he pushes you. Like, you don't really see that part. So, you know, that's, but that's the outside world looking in. Like, people in the program know. And, you know, it, it, it works. You know what I'm saying? You're Hall of Fame. So. Yep. No question. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about here is the biggest thing that I have, you know, just from the outside come to respect about you is that you've really started to use your platform to advocate for, you know, racial injustice issues across the country. Uh, you know, I've seen you advocating for things such as bringing justice to Breonna Taylor's death and uh, mm-hmm. the reexamination of evidence in Elijah McCain's case, right? Like, yeah. I've seen that you've really gone to bat publicly for these things, and I love that. Why do you feel it's important for athletes like yourself who have this voice, who have this uh, platform, to go out and really speak about these issues? Uh, I think it's it's our our duty as a a person first and foremost. You know what I'm saying? Yep. As a, as a human being, it's your like it's your job to speak out on what's wrong and you know for uh, just treatment and to be treated as equal. Like it's your job to speak for those things. To have a platform just means like you can reach out to more people at one time. You know what I'm saying? So yep. 
just be, just because we have a platform doesn't mean we're different from anybody. Like we're all equal. We're all the same human beings. Our platform just gives us an opportunity to kind of spread that awareness further. And if we have it, you know, we might as well use it for as much good as we can. Yeah, the like whole stick to sports bullshit drives me nuts. Like, yeah, first and yeah, foremost, exactly. we're yeah. people. You know what I mean? Like, what what makes you? Because you know, I'm speaking, you know, to the person that says stick to sports, right? Like, what makes you who you know takes out the garbage or who is a Wall Street trader or whatever, right? Uh, more. Mm-hmm capable of speaking out on these issues than an athlete such as yourself or a writer like me. It's just kind of really silly to me. Yeah, especially with issues that are like, that involve human beings. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's different if we're talking about, okay, like you're outsider talking about basketball because, you know what I'm saying, that's what we play. Not everybody plays basketball, but we all are human beings. We all are walking on this earth together. We all are going through these issues together. So therefore, everyone should have the uh, right to speak on it and you know, speak for what's right and do the right thing. Yeah, no question. It's a human issue. It's not like a political issue. Like, I feel like people who don't want to wrestle with these difficult conversations just often chalk it up to politics in a way that... Yeah, and try to make it political. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and it's not that. It's a human rights issue. Way deeper than that. Yeah, definitely. All right, my last three questions I'm going to ask you here. In your four-year career... At Michigan State, and these are just going to be rapid-fire questions. Who's the uh-huh. best player you faced during your four-year career? Best player I've faced? Uh, it got to be the Carson Edwards or Miles Powell. Uh, those are probably, like, I don't know. When we played them, like, just, like, their ability to put the ball in the basket was crazy. Yeah, Miles caught you guys this year. That was fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, he got <laughs> hot. And it's just like, when it's like everything they throws up just goes in the basket. So now that you've had some time on your hands, just due to the pandemic and everything, you were probably expecting that you were going to be able to, you know, live in the gym and work out, and that hasn't been the case. I'd imagine that you're getting into some TV and some movies. What are some of the fun things that you've been able to watch during the pandemic? Oh, I've been able to get it in. I probably watched <laughs> like a, a thousand movies. Uh, I love that. I started. I started watching Dragon Ball. From the beginning, like I wanted to see, I wanted to see how they turned like Little Dragon Ball into like the Dragon Ball Z that we all know. So I started watching like the original one. Uh, what else did I watch? Oh, I finished Ozark. Like uh-huh. I locked in on Ozark. That was good. And then I've been playing a lot of Call of Duty. That's kind of been my my quarantine. Oh, good for you, man. That's great. Yeah. I, I'm like the crazy person who literally keeps track of like every movie he watches. I think I've watched like 178 this year. It's really yeah oh yeah I, basically any new release that comes out okay I, I keep watched a lot of movies I just can't really keep track of it oh man uh, and the last thing I want to ask you is the first thing mm-hmm. that you're gonna buy whenever you get drafted and get your contracts first thing I'm gonna buy well it depends on where I get drafted you know what I'm saying if my money <laughs> right if my money right I gotta get my mom's a crib that's gonna be the first thing after that. Uh, probably gonna buy like some shoes or something. I don't know. I really don't know what I'm gonna do with the money. <laughs> Good for you, Cassius man. I love that you're thinking of your mom first. That's great. Yeah, definitely, definitely. At has been Cassius Winston. I'm Sam Bassini. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember rate, review, subscribe. Do everything that you typically do uh, to support the podcast. We'll be back next week. But until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. <laughs>